so Walter, thank you so much for sitting down with me. Um, you know, I would be remiss if we didn't talk about some of the current events. And so, um, you know, I, I, I apologize if this gets a little controversial, but I'm really curious how you feel about some of this stuff. So I'm going to give just a little bit of a preface. So I mentioned uh, King of Kong. And in it, I mentioned that it was a fiction film because what they do really well is they create characters. Um, so you become a character, Billy Mitchell's a character, Steve Weeby's a character. Um, and I don't know how any of these people are in real life. But um, as they're portrayed, you know, Billy Mitchell's the bad guy, Steve Weeby's the good guy, and you're kind of the referee in the middle kind of trying to see things, you know, make sure that it's about, it's about chasing the high score for Donkey Kong. And so one of the interesting moments in here... And, you know, and I think I don't really like I don't the truth is I don't know you personally, but you seem to be a person who has an extraordinarily high level, extraordinarily high level of integrity. Um, But in the in the movie, they kind of portray you as almost like a Billy Mitchell crony in that whatever high score he kind of gives without. And this is why I want to talk about verification it kind of it, it kind of goes through, and so one of the key moments of this movie is Steve Weeby breaks the record, and you know in in extraordinarily uh, douchey fashion, Billy Mitchell submits a tape after being you know talking about being an in person guy, and submits this tape where he becomes the first million dollar first million point Donkey Kong winner, and he becomes you know the 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 new world champion, and it's this kind of crushing although extraordinarily dramatic moment in the film, and so. Um, you know, I thought it was very interesting the way everyone was portrayed in that. And also, you know, now, in 2018, you know, 18 months ago, you know, the movie came out in 2007. But a person on the Twin Galaxies, a moderator for Twin Galaxies Forum, and I do want to remind listeners that this is well after you've been involved with, with Twin Galaxies, um, they they came on and they wanted to reignite this Billy Mitchell score from from the movie King of Kong that you oversaw, and through third party verification, um, they determined that that score was actually falsified, and you know and this kind of sent shockwaves through that world. It made national news on several different outlets. Variety, like the the magazine for the entertainment business, uh, entertainment world, picked it up. Billy Mitchell's been, you know, all of his records have been stricken from the from the record books. Uh, he's no longer allowed to submit scores at all. This is kind of a huge development, and I, I w- I've got to get your thoughts and feelings on this because I know not only did were you was, was Billy Mitchell um, very involved in the early days of the arcade, but I believe you and he and you and he are very close friends. What is your reaction to all of that? Well, first of all, Billy Mitchell, as a lot of people who meet him, is an extremely nice person, an extremely good person. So I really take my hat off to Billy for being a great, you know, like cultural leader of this whole amazing community. So I take my hat off to Billy. He's he's a pretty good, he's a really good guy, and people don't know that until they actually meet him in person, interact with him. So that's the first thing I could say, and the context are just the. This the, the tenor of the King of Kong is uh, is designed to create villains and heroes. And when's the last time you saw the King of Kong? Uh, I saw it less than a week ago. I saw that chasing ghosts um, and the arcade, okay. uh, the, the the one with um, Richie Knuckles. I saw all of those twice within the past week. And I am and I am aware that you know he's made out to be a bad guy, but. 
he also doesn't do himself any favors with the things that he says. He definitely lives his gimmick in that movie. Well, well let me well, let me say a couple things here. Uh, the King of Kong movie is an extraordinary work of art, and it really put gaming on the map and really created uh, a universe that has the good guys and the bad guys. So it's a pretty amazingly done film. And uh, and when they did a – when some film critics recently did uh, – an evaluation of the 3,000 movies of the last 10 years. They wanted to find the 30 greatest films. Out of all those 3,000 films, they decided that The King of Kong was number 29. So it's pretty amazing. It has a pretty amazing lore now in the, in the, in the cultural history of our times. So uh, The King of Kong. But uh, towards the end, when Billy comes into the arcade – and suddenly he's in the arcade for the first time with Steve, and Steve turns to him as Billy walks behind him and says, "Hey, Billy!" And then you see Billy walk behind him and walk away, snubbing him. Yeah, it, it looked totally fabricated. I'll be honest with you, as a person who's who's aware of all those things. Yeah, it it didn't look real at all. Well, it was fabricated. Yeah, Billy stops and talks to him, and they have a you know reasonably warm interaction, and then Billy walks away, and uh, and that's all filmed by them. But they cut it out purposefully because it was a. A, a further part of the process of establishing as the, uh, you know, the, the heel, the, the villain right, in the right, movie, right. and Steve being the uh, the victimized hero. So that was the kind of like the tenor. That's that's the theme or the, or the energy, the essence of the movie. And then and then you talk about what Billy says. Uh, there's that point when Billy's videotape was put up into the database, and then the scene changes immediately to the Billy. Yeah, yeah. And he says. Uh, Haha, not even Helen of Troy got more attention. And so what the what what is being said there is that it's appearing that he's loading over having pulled something over on Steve at that moment. So he says, Haha, not even Helen of Helen of Troy got more attention. And so the way people see that and they get upset at that moment is because Billy looks like he's gloating over having pulled something over on Steve Weeby. But here's what was actually hap here's what actually was the, the, the true nature of what, what was happening there. In the course of filming The King of Kong, I think that The King of Kong people had maybe four, maybe 3,000, 4,000 hours of audio and video. And they had, and if I understand correctly, they compiled them all into a database so that when they finally decided what the, tr- what the path of the plot was going to be, they could draw out a soundbite or, or, or a visual that would could be used that placed anywhere as needed to move the storyline forward at that point. And so essentially, earlier in that weekend, they were on the phone with Billy, and one of the producers said to Billy, wow, well, you know, they're at Fun Spot. And he says, well, we're looking at these guys play their video games, and they're kind of laughing at the guys. Think I think they're laughing at the guys thinking they're geeky and goofy, and says, they're looking at the games like they're looking at their girlfriends. And Billy, who's being filmed at the other end, sort of chuckles and says, yes, not even Helen of Troy got more attention. So essentially, they used his words in a way that didn't resemble what the, orig- the orina- origination of the words were to go and uh, simply incriminate Billy. So that's an example of how the footage and the audio footage could be used any way they wanted at any time to tell the story as they saw fit. Yeah, uh, well, a lot of people, they take you know they take the video and the audio, and then they piece it together like Frankenstein to, to build the narrative. Now, now that's all true, and, and look, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, it's not a movie. If, if they didn't do that, it wouldn't be a compelling 
it wouldn't be a compelling video. Oh, yeah. No, they, they turned it into an amazing adventure for everybody who watched it. Right, and that's why I said a fiction film that happens to be real because it's not it's not they didn't really document reality um, because it, it's not shot without edits. <laughs> you know that would be a, you know that would be. Um, so I understand that. Now I will say that the, the my, my contention in the movie was always that Billy constantly and with that, whether it's in context or out of context talks about how important it is to do all these things in person, and that if Tiger Woods doesn't do it in person, you know it doesn't count or whatever. And then at the crux of the movie is him submitting a tape, which then you know eleven years later, which is found to be a falsified tape. Um, it just, you know, I understand all that, but it doesn't make him look very good. And, you know, and, and to Steve Sanders' credit in that movie, he does admit that he lied um, and he takes full responsibility. I take my hat off to Steve. I thought that was a very bold and very spiritual thing to do, to openly face up to it. But here's, here's one. Here's a very important thing that I don't think anybody's ever brought me up to say before. Uh, you and anybody else watching that movie are suddenly seeing Steve there be in person and Billy not being in person and his tape being there. And so immediately, the way the movie is couched or presented is that this is like a, a weird anomaly, that there's a videotape of a person's play and that we would even consider accepting it. And 99% of our records back then yeah, and to make up a number, it could be 94% or 96%. 99% of our records back then were all submitted on videotape. That's how it was done. It was very rare that there was a live event. And very rare that, uh, <clears throat> that the scores would come from a live event. Almost everything was people back during that early era submitting Well, they showed, they showed like Robert's room and it's full of videotapes. Now, now... Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. I agree so, with so, you. But so but Billy the, says here's the here's the here's the here's the misdirection that that scene creates. It create it creates the idea that the videotapes was completely unwarranted and not real and not normal, but that Billy had kind of like pushed this through because he was bullying everybody or something. But the reason his tape had been sent there, his tape had been sent there through the mail because he wasn't coming to that event. But the tape had been sent there through the mail way before anybody even knew, especially way before he knew that Steve Wiebe was even going to be showing up there. So he had sent it there for people to watch and see his latest score on Donkey Kong because he wanted to share it with them. And they had already been watching the tape, I think, for two nights when it came that the, uh, that the, the tape was actually shown in the arcade. Well, and that and that um, may be fair, and so, but but he so, does set himself then, up though because he hands it to a girl, like an old lady who for that he you know helped with Cubert. So he played into that narrative, um, and and you know and, and and I understand what you're saying, and I don't mean to cut you off here, but I think at least mine and what most people's problem with it is is you you have at this story you know a guy talking about how great he is all the time and that you must do it in person. And then he actively participates in the producer's role of saying, like, of setting up, like, oh, I'm handing this tape off. You know, whether it came early or not is kind of irrelevant because he does actively take part in that, in that, in that ruse, so to speak, to pretend as if he's just submitted it when he's talked about doing it in person all the time. That, and I'm only setting that up. I don't know Billy Mitchell. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have, I don't know him at all. And I understand he's probably a character. My, my, what my real question is, is knowing that that particular tape that came into question, 
um, that you know that now eleven years later it's been it's been proven almost objectively that the, the evidence is pretty damning that that was a falsified tape. You know, especially just being so close to him, and you're the one who verified that particular tape. Like, wh- what does that kind of do? Um, you know, not only you know, I'm kind of, I want to know your personal reaction to that, but also like, what does that kind of do to um, you know, to to esports in general, or even just people trying to ac- accomplish those verification methods for those old arcade games? Well, I don't think it's done. I don't think it's had any effect on esports for, for that thing, and and. Uh, and what it is is that they're claiming that he used MAME. They're claiming that he had a MAME system somehow hooked up through an arcade cabinet. And there are loads and loads and loads of people who will step forward, who will say that no such hardware, no such technology existed to be able to do that. So it's still a, so it's still completely a mixed bag of tricks with a lot more new things. And, and, and here's another interesting thing to reveal to you. Uh, this is this is this is not something that's this is not a sleeping dog. There are many many forces out there who are still analyzing and assessing this, who don't buy into the idea that Mame was involved. So the battle's not over. So we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, I mean, that, look, that's fair. I mean, it, it, here's the thing: when you start using words like Mame, you, you're adding a specificity to it. I would say that it's clearly an emulator. Like it's it's de- it's one hundred percent not an original cabinet board output video output. And I know I know a little bit about video outputs. And when you start putting things side by side, it does not. It is not. That was such an archaic technology. And when you start using emulators on computers, it's just the the scanning is just so different that it's very clear forensically to look at it later on. So I would say that the evidence is is pretty clear. But again, I haven't looked at any of the tapes. However, it does cast a lot of doubt. Um, and so, I, I mean, it's just it's an, it was enough for Twin Galaxies, your your former company, to not only remove all of his records, but to to not allow any future ones to be submitted, which seems like an extraordinarily harsh penalty. Um, especially given the amount of people, you know, I saw uh, Steve Sanders in another interview talked about how many people had lied about scores. Um, you know, Todd Rogers being on the top of that list. I mean, he was claiming scores that weren't even physically possible with the gaming, uh, with with the the ability of the game itself. And so, you know, it's not uncommon. It, you know, it's hard for like the number. It'd be like finding out that like you know, like Barry Bonds was juicing. You know, it's like well, he's the home run king, but it's like well, he's using steroids. So it cast doubt on him for the future. Um, but you know, Barry Bonds is still allowed into the record book. No one took his records out. Uh, so it feels like a very harsh punishment. But it also, in a lot of ways, really kind of, in my opinion, just at least puts a taint on the industry, whether you know whether beca- whether it gets overturned or not. Um, and and I was just curious how you felt about your former, you know, the Twin Galaxies having that level of power over over scores because they're connected with the Guinness Book of World Records. So now you know a perfect Pac Man game, which was done live is now stricken from the record officially. You know, like, uh, that doesn't seem particularly fair to me. Um, what do you think about, like, how would, if you were still the head referee, how would you have handled that case? Well, when I was the head referee, back when Steve Wiebe was submitting scores, he submitted a score on a, I think it was Donkey Kong Jr. Mm-hmm, right. And then someone revealed that he played it on what's called a double Donkey Kong, which was technology that we didn't approve mm, of. Right, right. And so, so essentially... Instead of throwing a score out and banning him for this, 
and removing all his past scores, I said, let's accept your accomplishment for what it is. We'll make a temporary category for the double Donkey Kong. And then when you replay on the normal hardware, we'll accept that as your valid mm-hmm, score mm-hmm. and throw out the double Donkey Kong score. So in other words, instead of punishing him and making a walk the plank, we tried to work with him, honor him for where he was at, and then just move it on to proper game settings with proper scores. So in other words, I believe that we, I believe that under my regime, we tried to operate with compassion and understanding and give people um, uh, the chance to, to redeem themselves and move forward. It was a very, very different, and I agree with the word harsh, way that they handled it. Um, and they... And, and they, they retroactively threw things out all the way back to uh, – as having been on MAME all the way back to the earliest yeah, right, days, right. which I, with great, great knowledge that they're wrong, know that there was not MAME back then and that Billy did a lot of these things mm. in person in front of us live and that they are legitimate scores. Plus all the champions of the era will also step forward and say, no, Billy had that skill set and those were legitimate scores. So it was, an, it was, to me, a very excessive and needless and harsh reaction. Well, I think, you know, I mean, yeah, I, I think it, it definitely felt like it was pointed. And I, look, I'm not in that world. I don't know people's actual feelings on Billy or the scores or, you know, I, I imagine people who are running Twin Galaxies, people who are on the moderating forums are way into that world. Um, so it's a little different. I'm just a third-party person watching it. But anything, you know, I can understand if you lose your privileges to submit via tape. And and also, to be honest, to your point, a lot of, even on Donkey Kong, there's three people in the top ten where it's, you know, it says, you know, exactly what you just said. It says, like, arcade, arcade, mame, arcade, mame, you know. And so it tells you, well, oh, this guy did it on an emulator. This guy did it, you know, with the arcade board. There should be two separate categories. Um you know, I think, you know, at least in from what I'm reading, a lot of people more feel like it's it's clear that it was used and there's no admission of guilt. Um, but, you know, I I don't know. It's just it, it just it to me, it's just it's an incredible controversy that seems to really affect verification and goes to the point we talked about earlier is that, you know, you're crowning you're crowning world champions every you know in even in video games it's as competitive right now as any sports league you can ever be in these people are working really hard and so there's you know and even there too a lot of people are trying to root out people who are using steroids or having some kind of unfair advantage it's almost amazing to me really the point of why i'm saying all this is it's almost amazing to me how far that video games have come that they're being treated almost like mainstream sports in some you know in some respect that is a real compliment <laughs> to what you've accomplished um especially considering the ties that you helped create between Twin Galaxies specifically and the Guinness Book of World Records which of course everyone wants to be in um so so anyway I I really just wanted to get your take on that. So I I really appreciate you kind of going through all that and and giving me, you know, it's kind of like on on the NFL when they bring in Steve Jabby to talk about the 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 play that just happened. You know, you're the you're the original referee. Um and so it's it's really interesting to kind of see how you would have done that. Well, one thing that's interesting about about video games having such how video games are being applied as a legitimate sport now on on the highest level. Is because the games actually do involve mind-body coordination, fast reaction time, and also that deep 
and their comprehensive thinking. Now, do you follow NFL? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fantasy football legend, sir. Uh, what's your favorite team? Uh, well, I'm a Bears fan because I'm from uh, I'm from Chicago. I spent a lot of time in Boston, and you know, I, I, anyone listening to this, if I'm talking about people lying about scores, is going to give me a hard time about liking the Patriots. But I, I do. I think Tom Brady's longevity is a real testament to um, the athletic. How long you can really stay at the top of your game? Well, my understanding is, is that behind the scenes, he practices transcendental meditation. I think you're exactly right. His wife is extremely into it, so it stands to reason that that's the reason he has that resiliency and that youthfulness. You're right. Because that's what TM does. It maintains, it maintains the abilities, the body's ability to recharge itself, rebalance itself, improve itself, and heal deep. So it's an amazing, amazing process. But the reason I brought up NFL is because uh, Tom Brady. So I'm from Boston, as you probably know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I'm a big Patriots and Tom Brady's fan. But I also appreciate the fact that other people really, you know, they grind their axes on them. Sure, so that, yeah. That's just the way it is. Yeah. But but I like all teams. I like most teams. Uh, I'm a Rams fan. I'm a Bears fan. But but Brady's Patriots. And the reason I brought Brady up is because a lot of the analysts now realize that as his physio- physiological skills wane a little bit, it's his mental capabilities that are heightened more than ever. In other words, that deep inside comprehensive just vision or, or a state of mind that allows him to read defenses and respond faster and take the right action at each step. Now, let me compare that to like playing Robotron. Have you ever played Robotron? Uh, briefly um, in the, uh, on an Atari 2600. Well, if you've ever played it on the old arcade game, for 99% of the people, it's just a big mess of churning activity mm-hmm. that's so hard to even discern what's going on, right. thereby so difficult to know what's the next step to survive that board, that, that stage, that, scene, that, that level, and go to the next screen. But there are some people, because their mind is expanded and calm, to them, all that churning activity is really and essentially almost moving in slow motion to them. And they see clearly all the moving parts. Mm-hmm. And they automatically, intuitively, immediately, automatically know what the next step is to do to get through the obstacles and reach the next screen. There's that deep inner state of mind that's like an expansive thing that, that for those people, everything's moving slower for them and they can see the moving parts more clearly and they know what to do automatically. So they're a different state of mind than 99% of the people who play the game. And uh, that's one of the remarkable things about playing video games is that the video games do bring to the table the same skill set that all the other sports bring to the table, except that the person playing the video games doesn't need to have a big hulking muscular body with huge cardio. They need the eye-hand coordination, uh, the mind-body coordination, the fast reaction time, and that level of expansive thinking or clarity in the brain that is exhibited by people like Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan and uh, Tom Brady. And so that's why video games have the potential to become just as miraculous a level of sports success as the other sports, but maybe even bigger because skinny little, what we'll call skinny little geeky kids can go and become superstars and they don't need the big hulking bodies that the football players need in order to be successful. 
And when you look at it from that perspective, as I just described, it's pretty interesting. It's going to be very provocative, isn't it? I think that's an amazingly eloquent way to describe it. I mean, essentially, it's a mental athlete versus a physical athlete. And, and I think you're exactly right. Um, I don't think there's any more that I can add, and, and I think you, you laid it out perfectly. Um, Walter, I cannot thank you enough for taking this extra time out for me today. Oh, thank you so much, Ed.